Now, go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. It's towards the end of your Bible. So if you start on the right, just flip a couple pages to the left and you'll find it there. Small book written by the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians. Give you a second to get there. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. If you don't have a Bible on these tables here in the back, there should be a blue Bible you can grab and keep. It's our gift to you. Take it home with you. Read that, love that, follow that, uh, everything in the word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Like I said, I'll be reading verses 2 through 10. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today's sermon is titled, The Role We Play. Now, as we consider uh, advancing the mission of God, we're going to spend about eight weeks or so in this sermon series. And then, by the way, after that, it's going to be the Psalms in the summer, Philippians in the fall, and then Advent. So I'm, there's a little sneak preview. Uh, as we consider the role, or as we consider the mission of God, we wanted to take a couple of steps back with the first few weeks in this series. We didn't want immediately just to get into pragmatics and how-tos. We'll hit that later on in the series, but we wanted to go a couple of steps deeper and talk about some foundational issues because we don't want to do the mission of God and participate in the mission of God built on, on, a, on a feeble foundation. We want it to be a strong foundation, which is why last Sunday, Pastor Stephen opened in Ephesians chapter two, talking about just the gospel. What is the gospel? You cannot, you cannot preach the gospel if you don't first understand the gospel. So in Ephesians chapter two, you see that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, because he's rich in mercy, made us alive together in Jesus Christ. This is good news for us to celebrate. We cannot make ourselves alive. Only God could do that. Now this week, what we want to consider is what is the role that we play? Now that we understand the gospel or we're growing in our understanding of the gospel, what does it mean for us to be the church? I want us to consider what does it mean for us in this particular time and in this particular place to be the church called Story Church. So 
Back in, uh, on September 29th of 2019, we had what was called a commissioning service. Uh, some of you were there, some of you weren't. One of our sending churches is a place called Foothill Church in Glendora, California. So uh, on that Sunday, we gathered in Citrus College's little performing arts theater, and, and there was actually three churches present. So, so there's Foothill Church, there was Echo Church, which is now planted in Chino Hills, and then there was a uh, Story Church right here in Rancho. And, and Pastor Chris brought all the pastors and the pastor's wives up and he charged us and he prayed over us. And it was this beautiful moment. But one thing that he did on that Sunday during his sermon was he looked out at what would become two separate new churches. And he said, hey, I'm gonna give you your job description. I'm gonna teach you a little bit from the word of God what it looks like to be the church. Now imagine you got hired at Macy's, okay? None of us, does anyone work at Macy's? I'll just ask the question. Evan, that would be breaking child labor laws. Um, (laughs) Now, imagine you got hired at Macy's. You would assume that they'd say, hey, come in for a few days and we're just gonna do some orientation with you. Okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you this big fat binder and it's gonna be all of our HR policies and procedures. You're probably gonna fall asleep because that stuff is boring. And you're gonna learn a little bit about the organization and how it works. And then you're gonna get your specific job description and you're gonna learn your objectives and what you need to do and how to be good at your job. Now, after you did that orientation, they would say, okay, your first few weeks on the job, it's gonna be kind of a probationary period. You're gonna get some on the job training. Let's say you get hired in the men's shoes section, because that's a thing apparently. And so what you would do is you would probably shadow the guy who oversees that section for a few weeks and you would learn salesmanship and you would learn how to tie shoes. I don't know what you would learn, how to buff them. I don't know. We'll, We'll figure that out. Maybe I'll research it a little bit later. That's what your kind of job description and orientation and on the job training would look like. Well, at our commissioning service, Pastor Chris said, here's your job description. Okay, you as a new church, here's some basic things you need to be about. You need to be generous. You need to give of your finances to support the ministries here at Story Church. He said, you need to be servants. You have to give your life away in the service of others here at this church and then outside these walls. You need to live as family, practicing the one another's love one another, forgive one another, correct one another, love one another. You, you need to be a people who are serious about the Bible. You need to grow in your understanding and knowledge of the scriptures. And one of the aspects that he talked about was being on mission, that we need to be missionaries, zealous to see the gospel go forth to anyone around us, anyone and everyone around us. And we feel here at Story Church, now we're kind of in our first couple of years of just learning and growing and feeling these things out. We need to revisit that particular aspect, the mission of God, each and every year to orient ourselves to that because this is a huge portion of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So just briefly, let me kind of outline what this looks like. You you may know Matthew chapter 28, maybe you don't. In Matthew chapter 28, we get the great commission from Jesus where he says to his disciples, go into all nations, uh, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the commission. This is the calling. Go and make disciples. At the end of Mark, Jesus says to his disciples, go into all nations and proclaim the 
gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, I'm about to ascend to the right hand of the father, but there's another coming after me, the Holy Spirit. He's gonna indwell you. And, and as the spirit indwells you, he's gonna empower you to take the mission from here in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we get this really pivotal moment in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we, we see the church at Antioch become one of the first church planting churches. There's a bunch of prophets and teachers in Antioch and among them are Barnabas and Paul. And after a season of fasting and of praying, the, the, the church there at Antioch sets aside Barnabas and Paul and they say, we're gonna send you. We're gonna give you resources and people and you're gonna go. And they got on a ship and much of the New Testament is tracing Paul's three missionary journeys where he would go into cities and towns and he would plant churches, raise up pastors, and then leave and go do it again. Now, why is that so pivotal? Well, in that moment, we learn that the church is God's plan A and he does not have a plan B. The mission goes forth on the back of churches planting churches. Okay, denominations don't plant churches. They support them. Networks don't plant churches. They support them. Individuals don't just parachute into a location and plant churches. Churches send people to plant more churches, which is why it's so important for us to understand what is our role to play? What does it mean for us to be Story Church and participate here and now in this particular place at this particular time to see the mission of God go forth? Because we could trace the history right on down from the church in Acts to the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, to Foothill Church in Glendora, to Story Church right here in Rancho. And hopefully that line will keep on going for generations long after us where there's more churches planted all throughout Southern California because of the work of Story church. But for us to get there, we have to understand what's the role? What role do I play? What role do we play collectively? So here's the main point for today. The role we play is to give to others all that we have in the gospel. Simple. The role we play is to give to others all that we have in the gospel. We're going to see four things here in this text that lend itself to that main point. Let me walk through this. Number one, an elect people. Number two, an exemplary people. Number three, an enthusiastic people. And number four, an expectant people. What is the role we play? We give to others all that we already have in the gospel. Let's look at the first point here. We're in elect people. So when considering the mission of God, it seems odd to begin with the idea of divine election. And when I say that, I'm talking about God's total and absolute sovereignty over salvation. We don't save ourselves. It is purely the work of God to save us. But, but why, does that, why is that important to the mission of God? Well, if we're talking about giving to others what we already have, the truth is you cannot hand out evangelistic love without first receiving electing love. Or said more clearly in 1 John chapter 4, we love, why? Because he first loved us. The grounds for our love of others is the love that God first pours into our heart through the gospel and through his spirit. We cannot give away the love of God unless we've first received it. Now, look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, 
your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. He has chosen you. This idea of being chosen is about election. And, and, and so listen, uh, the doctrine of divine election, God's sovereignty and salvation is not meant to produce within us kind of hand-wringing and head-scratching. It's supposed to produce within us great worship of God. So let me just take a second to talk about this doctrine and to demystify it for a minute here. When we're talking about divine election, we're talking about God in his sovereign knowledge, in his perfect will, chose us to be his before the very foundation of the world. Before you were even a blip on the radar, God saw you and chose you and made you his. And he did this with complete knowledge that you would rebel from him, that you would sin against him, that you would walk away from him, that you would neglect him. And yet in his goodness, he still chose us. Why is this good news? Well, this is good news because being chosen by God is unconditional. Now, here, here's what I mean by unconditional. The scriptures teach that God elects persons to salvation regardless of any conditions of will or desire or effort or anything I can produce from my life. This is good news because in my sin, all I can do is sin. I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. And left to my own devices, all I would choose are the sinful things of this world. But God, regardless of any condition, set his sights upon me and said, you're mine. We see this all throughout the scriptures where God takes the weakest, the vilest, the poorest, as we just sang in his mercy is more. He chose those very people to be his. We see in the Old Testament, he chooses Israel, the most despised and smallest of nations across the earth. He said, you're mine. And this is good news because all of us are small and weak and feeble and sinners. And God in his goodness said, you're mine. We see throughout the scriptures that election is, is about God's purpose according to his choice. God's purpose according to his mercy. God's purpose according to the intention of his kind will. God's purpose according to the counsel of his good will. Election is not a negative doctrine. Election is a beautiful doctrine that is supposed to produce balm in the soul. Why does it do that for us? Election, God's sovereignty and salvation, produces balm in the soul because nothing produces assurance quite like election. Here's what I mean by that. If God chose me irrespective of any conditions in my life, and if God is unchanging as the scriptures testify, then God won't unchoose me despite all of my sin, despite all of my shame, despite all of my failure. In other words, said more clearly, God adopted me into his family and he's not the type of father that's gonna drive me and leave me on the doorstep of the orphanage. I'm his now and forevermore. Now, why is this, what does this have to do with the mission of God? Well, the overarching purpose of the book of 1 Thessalonians is to comfort weary Christians who are facing persecution. Okay, so here's what happens. 
As someone who is elect by God, made a part of God's family, we are now changed by God, given new hearts, new lives, new names, and new desires to live for. And as we live for God, naturally, our lives are going to begin to bump up against the things of this world. Everything that Satan and the demonic forces and the sinfulness of our flesh stands for, God stands up against. And as we choose to live for God, we're naturally going to face pain and hardship and trial. And for these Christians in Thessalonica, they faced persecution. And Paul wrote this letter to them, hearing of the persecution, saying, keep going, weary Christian. Keep following Jesus. He is absolutely worth it. And friends, as you and I choose to live for Jesus, we are going to continue to bump up again the things of this world and the things that Satan absolutely opposes and hates. And yet we are meant to have the assurance of the soul that just because I'm facing hardship does not mean that God hates me. As a matter of fact, it means that God loves me and I'm living for him and I get an assurance deep in my soul. God is for me and he is with me. I am his and he is mine. And Paul points back to this. Like if you want this assurance of salvation, if you need that deep in your bones, like I do, where there's times where I'm just doubting and doubt plagues my soul and I need to hear it from God. He he points to three things going on in these Christians. He, He says, first, you have this work of faith going on here. He says, I've heard reports of your work of faith, that even when it's hard, you're still working for me and obediently following me. And then he talks about this labor of love, that even as your enemies oppose you, Christian, you are still laboring in your love, not just of those like you, but also your love of those unlike you. And he talks about this steadfastness of hope that you have an incredibly bright future and one day your faith will become sight, but until that day, you are steadfast and steady in trusting in Jesus. In the New Testament, the three cardinal virtues of the Christian are faith, hope, and love. And Paul continues to go back to that for these Christians here in Thessalonica. And he says, listen, as you're facing hardship, as you work out the mission of God, you are still showing signs of faith and hope and of love. So trust in God. He loves you and he has not abandoned you. See, the person who claims to be one of God's elect, but whose life is unchanged is only fooling himself. Those whom God converts, God changes. This doesn't mean perfection. This just means there is a growing holiness, a growing maturity where faith, hope, and love are evident. So as we consider first the role we play, the first thing we must do is receive the electing love of Jesus Christ. Okay? There's so often so many stumbling blocks in our hearts and minds. I am totally unlovable. Maybe you were told that growing up. Maybe that's a scar of your youth you heard from a parent. Or maybe it was never said, but it was felt. You're unlovable. Maybe there's some type of sin that you committed in the past that haunts you so deeply that it keeps you up at night. Maybe there's some type of shame that continues to trip you up in your following of Jesus because you think that God could never love someone who did something so bad or is so bad. Hear me. You cannot outsend the grace of God. You cannot run so far away from Jesus that God cannot love you. 
God's love is so much more deep and wide than we could ever fathom. We will spend all of eternity mining the depths of God's love for us. So before you put those objections up and say, I'm totally unlovable, my my sin and my shame, man, they're just gonna continue to hold me up, hear me. God loves you. God is for you. There is nothing you have said. There is nothing you have done. There is nothing you can do that would make God stop loving you. First receive his love before you give it away. Number two, we're not just an elect people, we're an exemplary people. So in the next few verses, Paul's gonna expand upon this and talk about what what does a healthy church look like? What does an exemplary church look like? So if you remember back to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus doesn't say, go make converts. He says, go make disciples. This idea of discipleship, baptism, and obedience involves, and the implications of that are a growing maturity, a growing looking like Jesus Christ. So we receive his electing love, and then we mature in his love for us. And and it's shown in this church at Thessalonica in some of the ways in which they are healthy. Okay, the truth is at Story Church, we don't wanna plant churches, we wanna plant healthy churches. We don't wanna make converts, we don't want just a bunch of raised hands and filled out connect cards. We want that, but we wanna disciple people into maturity. Okay, we wanna become an exemplary people. And if we want to, to make an exemplary church, we have to first become an exemplary church. So, so let's look at verses five through seven and see what this looks like. Brothers, you're loved by God, you're chosen by God, verse five. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, as, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So there's a thread going through those couple of verses that we can pull on for a second. Paul says, I'm an imitator of the Lord. And he says it elsewhere in the scriptures, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And then Paul came in to this, this place at Thessalonica and he preached the gospel and he planted a church and he said, hey, follow me, be an imitator of me as I follow the Lord. And then he says, now this new church at Thessalonica, you went to this city called Macedonia and you became an example to them. And then you went to Achaia and you became an example to them as they were imitators of you. Again, this is just the downstream effect of saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I grow in maturity. As I become more like Christ, I want you to become more like Christ. What are some of the traits there that Paul talks about? The first thing he says is is an exemplary people receive the word. He said, we came to you with the gospel in word. Okay, so as it pertains to the mission of God, I think sometimes we can just overcomplicate the matter. I think so many of us are terrified to be evangelists and to be on mission because all we hear are like the Navy SEAL Christians who do the coolest stuff ever. And we're like, I could never do that. But Paul himself, Jesus, let's start with Jesus. Jesus went into towns and cities, walked straight into the synagogue, and what did he do? Proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians says, I came to you and knew nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. 
So Paul wasn't walking into places. He didn't come to Thessalonica and say, what's the most innovative, entrepreneurial, fancy thing we can do in the city? Man, let's get the coolest little art exhibit and get the fanciest coffee and free Wi-Fi for a community co-op center. That's cool if you want to do that, but that's not what's required. As we think about the mission of God, what we do is we preach the gospel. It's that simple. Build relationships and preach the gospel. So as Paul came to Thessalonica, he says, I came with you, to you with the gospel in the word of God. And where the word spoke, these Christians followed. And where the word commanded, these Christians repented. And where the word was preached, the Christians were eager to receive every single word of this Bible. Is this true of us? If we want to become an exemplary church that fulfills the mission of God, we must first be eager to receive the word. Where the word commands, do we run from it or do we repent and walk in it? Where the word speaks, are we eager to follow it? First thing, we must receive the word. Number two, an exemplary people grow in the spirit. Paul didn't just say the word came. He said the gospel came in word and with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The word and the spirit, friends, are always tied together. So if someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, you better check that against scripture. And if it ain't found in there, probably not from God. The word and the spirit always work in unison. And it is the spirit who enlivens the heart to new life. It is the spirit who breathes new life into us so that dead souls can come alive in Jesus. It is the spirit who enlightens our eyes and causes the scales to fall off so that we might see Jesus as beautiful and as supreme and as worthy of our worship. It is the spirit who illuminates the scripture so that we might understand it and apply it. Do you you ever have trouble reading the word like I do? Have you ever asked the spirit, help me? Give me the eyes to see and obey. Give me the heart to understand this word. It is the spirit who does that in us. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that enables us and empowers us to live on his mission, which is good news. Because all too often, as I'm building relationships, I feel so in over my head, right? Someone asks me a question, I'm like, I don't actually have an answer to that, you know? And my, my fleshly disposition is to like kind of stumble my way around and, and try to work it out. But, but it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us what to say. That's what the scriptures say. So what do we do? Well, the point of Colossians 3 and Galatians 5 is that we put away the things of the flesh and we open our hands with empty, empty hands of faith and say, I surrender to you, Holy Spirit of God. I want to look more like Jesus. I want to loosen my grip on the things of this world and I want more of you, Holy Spirit. Pray that. Grow in the spirit. An exemplary people receive the word, they grow in the spirit, and an exemplary people are rooted in the Lord. You see, Paul says, we came to you with full conviction. And when he's talking about conviction, the imagery he's bringing about there is that Christians are principled about some things. Christians are convictional about some things. There are some things in this word, everything in this word that we do not walk away from and we do not bend from. Now, now here's what happens. Maybe you come from a family that's like, you're such a joker. Why are you following Jesus? Like, we don't do that here in this family. The Christian, full of conviction, will say, you can make your jokes, but Jesus is worth it. 
When your workplace asks you, hey, bend on your ethics, lie, just fudge the numbers just a little bit so we might get just a little bit ahead in the market. Uh-uh, I'm not gonna do that. My ethics won't allow even if I lose my job. When your politics beg you to bend on what you believe from the scriptures, you refuse to bend to politics. Your knee is bowed to Jesus only. Now, why is this worth it? Because following Jesus when it's hard is so much better than abandoning Jesus for easy. Following Jesus even when it's hard is so much better than abandoning Jesus to get some ease in life. And exemplary people are rooted in the Lord. They're convictional about the things of the Lord. Number four, an exemplary people follow their leadership. Remember that thread there, Paul says, imitate me and you became an example to these other churches in Macedonia and in Achaia. But, but you saw it right there in the phrase. He says, imitate me and our Lord. See, here, here's the truth. Every local church uh, is given, according to the scriptures, a group of men who are called elders. We're working towards that here at Story Church. And these, this group of men, their life and their calling is to follow Jesus and say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I want to look more like Jesus and just come along with me for the ride. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you doctrine. I'm going to guard the church. I'm going to preach the gospel. This is what elders are called to do. And this is what Paul did in Thessalonica. And this is what the church at Thessalonica did for Macedonia and Achaia. And that's what we're trying to do here at Story Church. See, the truth is, I don't want you to look like Travis Cunningham. I'm fed up with him. (laughs) He's been waiting for his moment. Thanks, Rick. If you're new to Story Church, Rick and I are, we're best buddies. See, the truth is, I don't want you to look like me. I want you to look like Jesus. And I want to look as much like Jesus as I can. So when I say follow me, I'm actually just saying follow Jesus. Imitators, an exemplary church follows their leadership. What does that look like? It looks like submitting to the leadership, trusting the leadership, following the leadership, encouraging the leadership, supporting the leadership, not abandoning when things get tough, right? And I'm not trying to manipulate anything up here. I feel awkward saying some of this, but this is what the word says. Following, exemplary people follow their leadership. Number five, an exemplary people endure with joy. Right? Paul says, affliction came and you endured it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, like just following Jesus, just to be truthful with you, it's going to be hard at times. Okay? And it's not always because of people out there. Right? Following Jesus sometimes is hard because of people in here. Following Jesus is hard sometimes because of the person right here. And yet in the midst of it, we're called to have a disposition of joy. In other words, Christians, when things get hard, they don't tuck tail and run. They press in and keep their eyes on Jesus. Next, last thing here. An exemplary people strive for holiness. You see, the churches in Macedonia and Achaia had heard about the church at Thessalonica, had encountered the church at Thessalonica, and it wasn't because the church at Thessalonica had the best preacher in town, the coolest youth group in town, the most money in town, the best building in town. It was because the church at Thessalonica was an example to all believers. 
Their life and their witness and their reputation preceded them to the surrounding regions. Why? Because they were holy. They understood they were set apart in the gospel and they strived to look more and more like Jesus. And the other churches and the other cities around them saw that and admired that. So church, for us to be an exemplary people, we must be a people that love the scriptures, desire to grow in the spirit, are firmly rooted in the Lord, follow our spiritual leadership, endure our affliction with joy, and strive to look more like Christ himself. This is the type of disciple we want to make. And in order to make that type of disciple, that must be the type of church we become. We cannot give others something we are not already. We're an exemplary people. Next point. We're an enthusiastic people. Right? So built upon the, the foundation of God's love to us, his electing love of us leads to our evangelistic love of others. Okay? His, his love for us is then something we grow and mature in as we become an exemplary people. Then Paul gets into the advance of the gospel from Thessalonica. Look at verse eight with me. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. I love that. Paul's a preacher. We need not say anything, but I'll say it anyways. That's just how, that's the way it goes, guys. This is the reality of the conduit of our faith. Okay, our faith is not a cul-de-sac. It doesn't just stay here. This is the to us, in us, and from us of our faith. Here's what I mean by that. For the Christians at Thessalonica, the gospel came to them, the gospel worked through them, and the gospel came forth from them. The word of God came to them, the word of God worked through them, and the word of God came from them. The Holy Spirit came to them, the Holy Spirit worked through them, and the Holy Spirit worked from them. The word of God, all of these things came to them, worked through them, and came forth from them. This has happened for us, friends. This is good news. How the gospel can get from the Middle East to Southern California is stunning. And it happened because church after church for thousands of years said the gospel came to me, the gospel worked through me and now the gospel's coming from me. This is the reality of our faith, friends. It's a conduit, not a cul-de-sac. So what do we do? Everything that we've received, it comes to us, we let it work through us. And then it sounds forth from us, is what Paul says here. And it sounded forth everywhere. So I hear some of the objections going on in your head right now. You're telling me, Travis, just a couple minutes ago, you said God alone saves, right? God alone provides salvation. He is totally sovereign over salvation. Why do I need to be on mission? Why do I need to sound anything forth if it's God's choice? I hear that objection. Hear me. There's an answer to that. We have a role and we have a responsibility. It's called the mingling of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. In every one of our gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end, Jesus gives a commission to his people. He says, go and do, which is enough for me to go and do because he's the risen Lord Jesus Christ and his word matters. But there's also some evidence in the New Testament of what our role and responsibility is. So we have to understand, okay, if, if it's not my job to save, what is my job? Perhaps to, to understand that, maybe I should tell you some things that are not your job, right? Sometimes it's better to understand what's not your job to know what your job is, right? So, so first, 
Your job is not to save people. I'm just gonna keep on saying this. You don't save people. God alone saves. And this is good news for me because if salvation belonged to me, ain't no one getting saved. If salvation, you laugh at me. If salvation belonged to you, ain't no one getting saved. How's that? This is really good news because there are some people in my life that I'm building relationships and engaging with the gospel that seems so far gone. I'm like, it'll never happen. God saves. No one can outrun the love of God. He can save anyone. Your job is not to save. Second, your job is not to give up. You see, divine sovereignty and salvation is not a reason to give up on the mission of God. It's actually all the more reason to be spurred on. Here's what I mean by that. Here's how I apply it to myself. All right, God, you're you're telling me, you're telling me that you're gonna save some people. You say that, you're going to, it's going to happen. It happened in centuries past before the foundation of the world. God, you set your sights on people and you saved them. And if I can't save, and if I feel feeble, and if I don't have all the answers, and if I don't know what I'm doing, I feel in over my head, but I can just kind of cast the net as wide as possible. And God, you're gonna save? I'm game for that. That's better returns than crypto, right? That's a better investment strategy than anything Elon Musk can tell you to do. 45 billion, it's insane. I have a deep certainty that when I open my mouth and preach the gospel, God's gonna save. Not because of me, but because of him. Your job is not to give up. Your job is not to subcontract your witnessing to paid professionals. Okay, so the staff here at Story Church, myself, Stephen, Amanda, and Scott, like we have, let me just say this. We consider it a great and a humbling reality that we get paid, we get to provide for our families by doing this. Every week I stand up and I'm just floored that God allows me to do this and provide for my family. Are you kidding me? I do this for free. But listen, just because we get paid, all we are is members of Story Church with particular roles and particular responsibilities. And as members of Story Church, it's all of our jobs to live out the mission of God. It is all of our job to do it together. So you don't just just wait for myself or Amanda or Scott or Stephen or someone else to do it for you. All of us are called to do this. Your job is not to be faithless. Have confidence in the Lord, right? If he can save you, he can save anyone. If he can save Rick, he can save anyone. (laughs) You see, the power's in the mic, Rick. This is the role we play. We preach the gospel without hindrance, without objection. We sound it forth everywhere as the church did here at Thessalonica and God saves. And we're enthusiastic about that. We're excited about that. We're zealous for that. The gospel comes to us, works its way through us and comes forth from us. Final point here. We're an expectant people. Look at verses nine and 10 with me. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
So the church at Macedonia and Achaia, they wrote a report and Paul received that report and he heard some things were going on at the church at Thessalonica. And it wasn't bad things. It was incredible things. Hey, you, you continue to turn away from idols. You continue to trust in the serving or and serve the living true God. Like this is really good news, but undergirding all of their following of Jesus is this hope that they have that they are waiting for the son from heaven, Jesus Christ, to return. The one who has saved them from the wrath of God and who has set their feet on solid ground, who they can now follow forevermore, that they will be in his presence forevermore. That was the future coming for the Christians at Thessalonica. That's the future that's coming for us, Story Church. But the key word here is this idea of waiting. You see, waiting, oftentimes we believe it's a passive word. The word wait here is not a passive word. It's actually an active word. That the Christians at Thessalonica, while they were waiting for the Lord, they worked for the Lord. We work in our waiting. We don't sit on our hands with indifference and apathy. In other words, these Christians were saying, so long as it's today and Jesus hasn't returned, I'm going to preach the gospel. So long as it's today and Jesus hasn't returned, I'm going to build relationships. So long as it's today and Jesus hasn't returned, I'm going to go live on mission. This is the eagerness of the Christian soul. We live with an urgency and a zealousness because Jesus can save anyone. And so long as he hasn't returned, man, I'm I'm going to work for him. I'm going to go hard for him. This is what we do, Christian. When we wait, we can get weary in our waiting. But instead of getting weary, we should work in our waiting. Work for Jesus. All right, so you're you're telling me the role we play here at Story Church for this particular time and this particular place is to receive the electing love of God and then give it away to others. To grow in my maturity and following Jesus and give it away to others. To be enthusiastic about the mission, joyfully casting the net as wide as possible and to be expectant That one day Jesus is going to return, but until then, I'm just going to live for him. That's what you're telling me the role is. Yep. That's what the role is, Christian. Again, we're going to get to some of the pragmatic and practical stuff in future weeks in this series. But for now, I just need you to understand that as a follower of Jesus, it is your job to give Jesus away to others. But friends, you cannot give away what you don't already have. So the point for today is... Do you have it? Are you growing in it? Do you understand the love of God for you? Do you understand all that Jesus has for you in the gospel? Do you understand that before I'm talking about going and doing things, I'm talking about sitting and receiving some things? Like, hear me, I just want to say this again. There might be some type of sin that you're caught up in. Jesus wants to free you from that. He does. Jesus is so much stronger than your sin. And he's so much better too. You see, sin is going to promise some goods to you, but it's just a lure and it hooks you. And then it lets you down and you feel empty. I've been there. You've been there. That ain't Jesus. Jesus says, there's some promises, but it's not a lure and a hook. It's all true. Follow me and you'll find satisfaction. Follow me and you'll find joy, right? 
Don't let your sin hold you down from following Jesus. Don't let your shame hold you back from following Jesus. When Jesus saves you, you become a brand new creation in him. And here's what that means. That thing that trips you up, it's buried in the grave 2,000 years ago. It may still haunt you, but God remembers it no more. You are free in him. You are loved by him. So receive everything that Jesus has for you in the gospel. And maybe you don't know how to do that. Just pray, right? Cry out to God. And even there, you're probably like, I don't know what to say. Say anything. God can make sense of it. You may not be able to, but God can. And his love will infect your soul and change you forever. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for your mission to us. That in the gospel, we see just how much you love us. That you entered into humanity and history. You put on flesh and dwelt among us and lived the life we couldn't, died the death we deserve. You were raised to new life so that when we believe upon you, we are saved and we are set in right relationship with you. We are in your presence now and forevermore. We thank you for your mission to us. I pray today that by your spirit's power, you would release an outpouring of your love deep in our souls. That no, no type of bitterness that's taken root in our soul because someone hurt us will hold us back from you. No type of shame from something we committed in the past would overcome and blind us to your love. God, you love us so much. So much so that you raise dead sinners like us to new life. That's almost unfathomable. And if it wasn't in the word, I wouldn't believe it. Thank you for your love to us. I pray we would receive that love. We would be enthusiastic about growing in that love and eager to give that love away to others. Help us to see and to savor and to walk in your deep love of us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.